0: Xbox president, Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher, Dr. Fei Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com TechSF.
1: Hi there, and welcome back to Out of Office. I'm your host, Malika Kapoor. After 15 successful years at Disney, Catherine Powell moved to Airbnb in 2020. Her job? To head experiences, in-person experiences there. But then,
0: the pandemic hit. For me personally, I didn't know if I had a job. For my hosts, they lost their their access to to their income, their business, and Airbnb as a whole was kind of seeing its, its business nosedive. It
1: was time for a reset. Along with Brian Chesky, one of the founders of Airbnb,
0: Catherine took the experiences online. Gosh, we had, although the Buddhist monk was was very popular, we also had meditating with sheep. The strategy
1: worked out for Airbnb, and Catherine is now the global head of hosting at the company. In this episode of Out of Office, we cover a lot of topics. We talk about her career, working at Disney, where she was president of Disney Parks Western Region, The gift of great girlfriends, living and working in multiple countries.
0: Yes, I always say my fun fact is uh, that I've given birth in three different languages. (laughs) In in, in French, in German, and in English. And
1: perhaps what struck me the most, she explains why vulnerability is her superpower. So join me as I have a chat with Airbnb's Catherine Powell.
0: Catherine, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you. Thank you, Malika, for having me.
1: As the global head of hosting for Airbnb, as one of the most senior executives there, you really have a good window into travel and tourism trends. Are people traveling again?
0: Yes, they are. And in fact, we've seen that people have wanted to travel the moment that they were able to in the pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic was declared, the world went into lockdown. It was a very, very challenging moment for everyone. If you worked for a travel company in the pandemic, I mean, it was, it was a moment where we just were looking into the abyss. But what was incredible to see was as soon as lockdown restrictions started to lift, that pent up demand for travel and connection just exploded. People got into their cars. They weren't gonna get onto airplanes. they couldn't, but they got into their cars, they traveled locally, They'd stayed in, in homes because they felt safe. And so we saw our business having dropped 80% start to pick up very, very quickly. And Airbnb, what our hosts were offering, was, a, was kind of the, the right product for travelers at that moment. And in fact, domestic and rural travel remains the biggest part of our business. It used to be international travel and cities. That's coming back. That's come back to pre-pandemic levels, which is great. But rural and domestic remains really, really strong. And I don't know if you've traveled recently or been at an airport and tried to kind of fly. I could see domestic being a, you know, a more attractive option for, for some time to come until you know, airlines and airports can get the, the resources that they need because it, it's a nightmare traveling now. But yes, people are traveling.
1: It's nice to hear that. It just feels that like the world is sort of inching back to some sort of normal state, right? Yes. At the beginning of the pandemic, none of us knew what had hit us. We didn't know what was going to happen. Um, You didn't either. You had just joined Airbnb and you were responsible for experiences. And all of a sudden, you know, we went into the state of lockdown. So this must have been a really interesting time for you personally. And also as you wondered, oh, my God, what's going to happen next?
0: Yes, I, I joined Airbnb in January 2020. I joined to run experiences and these are in-person experiences where you meet the host and they share an incredible, their community, their culture and experience. And March 14th, the pandemic is declared and I had to suspend my whole business. I mean, I had to just suspend experiences. So it was, it was, a, it was a very difficult moment for me personally. I didn't know if I had a job. For my hosts, They lost their their access to to their income, their business, and Airbnb as a whole was kind of seeing its its business nosedive. So it was an incredibly challenging period. One of the things that I did um, early on was, was to actually start doing workshops and listening sessions with our hosts to hear from them, to hear how we could help them. And it was clear they wanted to continue connecting with guests and provide something. So we pivoted really quickly I mean in 14 business days I think it was we launched online experiences and I remember having the conversation with Brian at the time saying you know our hosts want to do this and Brian was saying but we're all about connection and human connection and it's got to be in person and in the end we thought let's try it our hosts want it it's going to help them and so we curated these experiences. I remember working with hosts and kind of almost like rehearsing, hey, this is different to an in-person experience. It's online. We set up Zoom accounts for them and we launched them. So it was, that was a, that was a great moment of light during an incredibly difficult time. The pandemic was such a forcing function to focus, focus on what was really important to jettison businesses that were, I think Brian felt were distractions and go back to the core of what is at the heart of Airbnb, which is hosted travel. This is our hosts and their unique homes. And that was when he created this role, this global head of hosting role. And, and my priority was to focus on our 4 million hosts.
1: Online experiences. I know you offered a range of experiences. And one of them was, you know, meditating with a Buddhist monk. What was the most popular experience?
0: We had, gosh, we had, the, the Buddhist monk was, was very popular. We had, um we also had meditating with sheep. That was that was very anything that we had a wonderful. This is during the online experiences. We had um, anything that was I think helping people's mood with music or with with meditation or with calming. But we had we had great. I mean, even our one of our most popular in person experiences, uh, which was making pasta with a wonderful nonna, Italian grandmother, just outside Rome. Um, she pivoted also immediately to online and and taught how to make pasta you know online so they, they those ones where you could have a shared experience with people who were you know unable to connect with their families unable to celebrate birthdays we have people booking online experiences for graduation celebrations it's just anything that that you could do as a as a shed i mean i learned to i learned to Irish dance to do a jig, I learned to um, I learned to make pasta. I you know I mean you you could learn to do all sorts of things. But the the key thing was you were doing it as a shared experience when you were separated from your friends and your loved ones.
1: Now at the same time you were working on these online experiences, but you just said a few minutes ago that you know you weren't sure whether you even had a job, and you had just come off fifteen incredibly successful years at Disney a really high profile position very much in the public eye and then you find yourself in this situation where you're scratching your head thinking where is this going i may not have a job how did you get through that
0: i think that one of the things about the pandemic was that it was you know people have talked about it being kind of very democratic you know everybody was was in the same boat and i think while I was very worried about kind of our hosts, our experienced hosts, the experienced business, it was very clear that Airbnb was focusing and all of us on the executive team. we During that period, we were meeting every day, every single day for hours, including Saturdays and Sundays with, with Brian, just talking about how are we going to get through this? How are we going to refocus the business? And I think my energy was channeled into that and and supporting Brian and helping you know deliver what we how we were going to get Airbnb through it and that was i mean that was the priority obviously there were concerns that we all had about how we were feeling locked down um, how our teams how our teams were, were managing especially young families i remember that as well i remember feeling just desperate for Young families who were in small apartments who had no childcare. I think one of the things it also really taught me was just the importance of empathetic leadership. I I mean I've got a I've got a kind of blurred background now. Many of us have Zoom backgrounds on, and so you didn't even know what was going on behind the Zoom. So this idea that someone could be in their bedroom, where they wake up, they get dressed, they go onto Zoom, they have kids in the background, and they st- they spend the day in their bedroom. And this the the toll. As well as kind of just focusing on how the business was going to get through the toll on our teams and the, the the you know the mental as well as the physical well-being was was really tough as well so i think that was another thing that really focused me just to support the team and make sure that that we were really intentional about being empathetic it's very easy if you're seeing someone with a zoom background not to think about what's going on behind that background
1: You've done lots of interesting things and new things as global head of hosting at Airbnb. Tell us a little bit about your work with refugees.
0: Yes, that's that's been truly incredible. Um Airbnb.org was um actually was began its genesis was in in 2012 with Hurricane Sandy and one of our hosts and this just highlights just the incredible nature of our hosts. One of our hosts basically said during Hurricane um, Sandy, I'd like to open my home for free to the victims, to the disaster victims, those who've been displaced because of Hurricane Sandy. And so we had to create the product to be able to offer a home for free. And that, that started what was called basically open homes, where our hosts could opt in to offer their homes for free or for a discount to people in need. And people in need basically were refugees or people displaced because of a of a disaster victim. That was our because of disasters like natural disasters like a hurricane or a wildfires or floods, and so that was our focus. And then it really became um, kind of acute. First of all, with with the Afghanistan crisis last year, and we moved very quickly to work with um, agencies, resettlement agencies in the U. S. to house Afghan refugees. Um we've probably housed, I think, I mean over well over twenty thousand to date of Afghan refugees. And then you know beginning of this year was was the conflict in Ukraine and we committed to to trying to house a hundred thousand guests who'd been displaced because of this conflict. We're very close to that number, which is incredible. And this really is is our host community who opt in. There are people who aren't hosts who also opt in. I mean, you, for example, if you're not an Airbnb host, you could say, I'd still like to opt into .org and I'm ready to house refugees or displaced people for a temporary period of time. And this is what we see when we have these crises. And, and Airbnb.org, which is now a 501c3 um, philanthropic arm of the company. We recruit .org hosts, who open their homes, They some offer them for free or discounted. We will raise money, .org will raise the funds, and then we will give basically funding to agencies that can help resettle people. And one of the real advantages that that Airbnb has and, and .org has because of Airbnb structure is, is the technology. We are a platform where we can connect guests and hosts. And so in the case of .org, we are a platform that at scale can connect guests in need with hosts who are prepared to house those guests in need so it's it's really an incredible incredible part to you know experience to be part of and meeting our hosts and hearing the stories of refugees and how it you know it changes their lives at a really vital moment in in their journey so they're not they don't necessarily have to stay in camps they can spend a, a short period of time a temporary period in a home and our hosts will do everything to support them to introduce them to the local community they give them clothes or and food sometimes money it's a it's it really shows the best of the culture of airbnb
1: and i think it's a really interesting way to see how the corporate world can play a part it just means tweaking your business a little bit but finding a way to um to contribute
0: and i think that you know that point of 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 contributing, and also just, you know, how do you operationalize your values? It, it's such a it's such an important idea, more important now than ever, because the expectations from your employees, from your guests, and from our hosts, we hear from our hosts, is, you know, we want to be able to act in this space. So the, the .org area and supporting refugee guests is, is one. Sustainability might be another. Where So we're working closely with our hosts, we know our guests seek that, our hosts really want to be able to indicate how they are helping sustainable travel. We're making introductions, um, In we're running pilots in fact in a couple of countries, trying to help our hosts access renewable energy. Um, and so introducing them to, to organizations that can help that and then they can demonstrate that their homes are energy efficient, that they have renewable energy. We know that that's really important to them, but to your point of how do businesses you know, tweak business models. It's, it's really about operationalizing those values. Get them, you know, into your business as opposed to them sitting apart as a kind of, as a, as a commitment.
1: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg,
2: this is The Deal. Each week, your heroes in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment.
0: That is a harsh lesson
1: in business. Sports is and not as down. simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp
2: you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, and watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV Plus.
1: Another thing I know that's top of your list is personal safety and guaranteeing the safety of people who stay in an Airbnb accommodation. Now, one of my colleagues at Bloomberg has reported extensively on unfortunate incidents of sexual assault, which have taken place at Airbnb uh, properties, but she's also reported a lot on the huge efforts you've taken and the steps you're taking to improve safety. Could you tell us a little bit about that, about what you're doing to improve safety standards?
0: So safety is the number one Priority um, for for Airbnb, and there it's something that, that we're we're committed to. I mean, we had we have, you know, we've welcomed a billion guests on Airbnb. The safety incidents are a fraction of the of the of the nights or the trips, but you know they sh- we don't want them to happen. Clearly, however small the incident, the number of incidents are, and so we do a lot to make sure that we have um, standards in place that both our hosts and our guests need to commit to. And if they don't, we will take action to remove guests or hosts that don't don't adhere to those standards. We have a lot of technology that sit with our trust and safety operations that detect risk ahead of time um, and so we will do that. And that gives us a way to identify reservations that we think might be risky and how we prevent those from happening. Um, it is incredibly important for us as well that, you know, not just our hosts and our guests are safe, but the communities where our hosts live also feel safe. So we, had a, we have a neighborhood hotline that, that neighbors can ring if they feel that, that something is going on. So we, we're very focused on this all the time. As I said, it's an absolute priority for us.
1: I wanna talk a little bit about your personal life and the two things that struck me when I was uh, reading up on your childhood was you grew up in Hong Kong and I just moved to London from Hong Kong two years ago. So I lived in Hong Kong for a bit and that you wanted to be a ballet dancer when you were a little girl.
0: (laughs) Um, Yes, I had, oh, I lived eight years in, in Hong Kong. Um, we lived in Stanley, and I went to I went to school on the Peak. Um, so we we lived there. I was aged eight to to sixteen. So I mean, really formative years, and and I loved it, absolutely loved it. Um, and it was it was it was a basically. It was a, I think it was something that really triggered a a real curiosity for travel and for different cultures. We did so much travel in, in Southeast Asia when we lived there. My parents would, every, every opportunity that we had to go and visit a, a country, we would do that. Um, and just learning about other cultures, meeting people, learning about you know, foods and, and you know, religion and dress and you know, all of that was, was fantastic. So it really kind of, um, it triggered my, my interest, I think, in, in travel and just in, in global communities and global cultures.
1: How do you feel about the situation in Hong Kong now, though? I mean, I just read that Hong Kong has had its biggest exodus uh, of people you know, ever. I think 1.6% of the population left just in the last 12 months. That's a huge number. And just given the way they've handled the pandemic, the national security law, Hong Kong doesn't feel the same, right?
0: It, I feel sad. I feel sad we, I, we have um, I, I have friends who are still there and actually there's a there's a, a group that we're together whatsapp group um, and so and they're they're kind of sharing what's what's going on and it's you know it's a I think it's a very it's a very difficult period actually I have to say I haven't been back um, and I, I mean I I think of it so fondly you know when you've lived somewhere also as a child it's so nostalgic um, but I know it's changed a lot but I can't wait to go back
1: but Hong Kong is just one of the cities you've lived in. I know you're a true global citizen. You've lived and worked mm. in Paris, in Sydney, in London, in the States. And you have three boys. Each one was born in a different country.
0: Yes, I always say my fun fact is um, that I've given birth in three different languages. <laughs> in, in, in French, in German. And in English and i always laugh about the german one if you if you know the german language you always have to put the verb at the end of the sentence i remember i can literally remember trying to construct the sentence you know in labor um so yes i i have my boys have they've you know they've uh grown up in different countries they've they've lived yeah they've lived all, literally all over the world they're all now with me here in the us with my husband of course as well i should say <laughs> We're all here. How old are your boys? The, my youngest is 20 um, and is at, at college here in the US. Uh, my next one is 24 and then my eldest is 26.
1: How did that shape you living and working in so many different parts of the world? How has that shaped you as a business leader?
0: I think, you know, I think, I mean, I talked about kind of growing up in Hong Kong um, and, and and what that did in terms of just just opening your eyes to the fact that you know, cultures are very different. Communities are very different, and there's a whole world to explore. Having the opportunity then to go and live in different cities, um, live in different countries, it I think what it, it has done for me as a as a leader is really helped me adapt to, particularly to how do you know how does how do consumer expectations and consumer beha- how does consumer behavior change so if you are a business, and you're dealing with you have products or a brand, um, and your you're, you know your product you want it to get into the hands of of consumers. How how is it different in each country, and how do you have to really understand the cultural nuances? And this is everything from selling. Uh, when I worked in Paris very early on, so when after my husband and I married and we moved to, to Paris because he's a he's in the British foreign was in the British foreign service and we were posted to the embassy there, um, and I worked in. Um, what we called audiovisual distribution, which is basically the licensing of, of TV shows and films. And um, we licensed US and, and UK films to French broadcasters. So I really had to understand what do French consumers want to watch? When do they watch it? What's the right... You know, which channel broadcasts what sort of programming? What's the time slot? So you, you begin to understand how that changes, how that's different to what I was used to in the UK, for example. Then living in Australia... And working then for Disney, it's about the Disney brand and Disney products and how do Australians view the Disney brand and what, what is valuable for Australians? What do they care about? And how can we pivot to make sure that we address those needs? And of course, you have the park and the park experience and how the experience in Disneyland Paris might differ to the experience in Disneyland. So I think it makes you incredibly attuned to you know cultural differences so, so that you You don't create this one size fits all or this one template that you kind of roll out globally, that you really understand how you need to adapt to a local culture, adapt to local consumer needs, as I said, consumer expectations.
1: I know this is a really broad question, but if you look back at your career at Disney, what do you think, would what would you say is one of the
0: learnings
1: you had at Disney that your perhaps trying to apply or to use as a leader at Airbnb?
0: Gosh, I mean, 15 years at Disney, there's a lot <laughs> that I learned, um, you know, and it, it, it so shaped, you know, who I am, how I think, how I operate, how I lead. Um, I, well, I think one, the, you know, the level of rigor that, that Disney expects, I have to say that there's that same level of rigor at, at Airbnb, but that, you know, high expectations and ensuring that you're, you're, you know, you're delivering excellence the whole time, and trying, you know, trying pushing yourself, pushing your teams forward to deliver excellence. That that level of rigor and focus was one thing. Um, definitely, an understanding of the that kind of sweet spot, if you like, that nexus of of where creative content or the creative experience. It, it, you know meet the consumer and what the consumer wants and can be kind of you know for want of a better word optimized commercially which sounds very jargony but you know how I've always had as a through thread of, of my career how can the business how can I help the business grow leveraging content whatever that content might be it might be a film or it might be you know an experience in the park or now it's you know it's an experience or a stay on Airbnb how can I help grow the business? by leveraging what that content or experience is and helping meet the consumer needs. And that was something that through the Disney brand, I really, I learned and I, I worked with um, intensely. And that's definitely something that I've brought with me to Airbnb. What the? How do you create the best possible guest experience, whether it's a magical experience in the park or a magical stay or an actual experience on Airbnb?
1: Now, you're often described as a senior woman executive. It's one of the senior most women executives at Disney, one of the senior most ex- ex- uh, women executives at Airbnb. Does that bother you that you're described with the, the woman tag, woman
0: executive, or are you proud of it? I'm kind of, it's kind of the, the I am proud of it, definitely very proud of it. Um, and I think it is necessary because I think the role of a, of a female role model is still, role model as a leader, is so important. And so what, what bothers me is that it's still so, you know, there's still a need for visible female role models. But to be one, I'm very proud of that. And I take that very, very seriously. I take the fact that I am not just a leader, but a woman leader very seriously. I know that women are looking to me to see, you know, how is it done? How how can I be that person? Can I, I mean, it's really important as a, as a female role model that as a leader, and this defines my, my leadership as well, that, that I am accessible so that people can see, you know, they, they see who I am and they see, I mean, vulnerability is another piece that I talk a lot about. I have... Vulnerability is, as I think, I kind of call it one of my superpowers because I think if you're not, and you don't kind of acknowledge where, where and when it's difficult, you you're it's not relatable, and then people can't see well. Okay, so this is this is how it is to get to be a, a senior leader, and this is where the difficult moments are, and this is how you ask for help, and this is how you show up. Um, so, and I think that's very, it's very, very important. I you know I share a lot um, and have shared a lot with with women leaders younger leaders I I mentor as well both within Airbnb and outside of Airbnb and helping helping them women on that path it's so important not just as a female leader that you take that seriously but that you sponsor that you advocate that you look at your pipeline of leaders and make sure that you have a pipeline of female leaders and and then you're equipping them to be successful and it, it, it is on it's on all leaders to do that men and women but for obvious reasons there's i think there's you know more of a of a an expectation that a woman leader will help because you're experiencing so much of what they they you have experienced
2: at Qatar Economic Forum.com.
1: you know i don't think i've heard anybody describe vulnerability as a superpower and i have to say i love it and i think it's really quite brave of you to say that do you remember a time in your career when you felt
0: really really vulnerable and can you talk a little bit about how you pulled through yes i've had you know i've had many many times when i felt vulnerable as we all do by the way i mean we all have moments of vulnerability um, and any, any move that I have made, which has been a leap in terms of, you know, what my experience to that date has been and what I'm about to do. My first move to, to Australia to be a general manager of eight of business lines, Disney's lines of business. And I was an expert in one, I'd had been a deep, you know, general manager, deep expertise, and suddenly I was going to be running multiple lines of business. And so I was going to have people in my team who knew way more about that business than I did. And and that was about, you know, that was a moment when it was like, okay, I have to show up as a leader, but I also have to acknowledge that there are some things about theatrical stage shows, for example, that I'd never done before, or releasing a film that I'd never done before. We had Star Wars Episode Seven coming up. I mean, it was, the stakes were high. So just, you know, knowing knowing, believing that, you know, you can get through this is kind of like the first step in any vulnerability. Um, and then knowing where and when to ask for help. I mean, that that move to Australia was one. Moving to Disneyland Paris, I had, never, I had never worked in the parks. And yet suddenly I was gonna have 16,000 people who were gonna look to me for leadership. And I, you know, I hadn't worked in the parks before. So that was, a, you know, if, in fact, somebody, I was doing a, um, one of my first town halls at Disneyland Paris I did it I did I held a women only one intentionally because they had never ever been brought together um women as, as a group and I wanted to talk to them as a as a woman and I know you know having an intentional all-female town hall is in itself controversial because you don't want to be excluding men but I felt it was so important for women to have a moment together to to express things safely and and to to hear from me and they asked um you know what my most kind of vulnerable moment I said well up to this point I mean it's today it's now it's being here in a very public stage knowing that if something goes wrong it's going to be very very public but just believing that you you know how and when to ask for help and that the thing about vulnerability why I kind of call it a superpower is it gives you courage and courage is, is a strength um so it's so, you know that's those are my times at Disney and then you know coming to to Airbnb and working in tech and being a woman working in tech and not having a tech background and needing to speak to my team, to speak to engineers, to gain that credibility um, when, you, you know, you have a very different experience. You use, literally, you use a different language um, and, and learning that. So, I mean, each of these have been key moments. And I think it's, you know, leaning into that and just, I mean, I always say you need to get, <laughs> you need to get vulnerability right You can't be overly vulnerable because everyone's going to think, oh, my God, she doesn't know what she's doing. Um, You need that, you know, right dosage. But it gives you strength. And going back to that point about being a female leader, that is what people need to see because everyone feels it. And if you don't manage vulnerability in the right way, it becomes shame. It becomes self-conscious shame. And then you just don't want to do anything.
1: I think you've explained that so beautifully, and it's struck a chord. I've been nodding away the whole time, and I, I, I'm sure a lot of people will really learn and take a lot away from that. Um, mentors, you you mentor a lot of people within Airbnb and also externally. Have you ever had one particular mentor who really stands out as someone who's shaped you?
0: I I'm, I'm often asked this question, and I I kind of I feel that that. There have been different mentor-like relationships in my life at different times who've helped me in different ways. I I have close friendships with my with friends, um, friends that I've been to college with, um, who great yes great girlfriends. I had I have great girlfriends that that, that we were you know we were at university together that we still stay together and who help. We help each other, and it is a form of mentorship because there are times when you say, especially when you're getting married and having children at the same time and trying to balance that work life career and it feeling at times that it's just going so wrong, having not just you know someone to share it with but but also you know giving advice and help in a way that a mentor might do so there's there's friendship that's really important and i've had friends who are who are mentors um, in Australia you know Australia was was the most fantastic uh, country and experience for our family to live in, but it was a it was a challenging environment. It's it's very it's very male dominated, and and I had a group of women in this kind of what felt like a male dominated world. The you know the head of Twitter, the head of Microsoft, the head of Google, um, they were the head of of um, Intel. They were all women. Um, and so there were these amazingly strong women in tech, and we created this kind of this this group that we would we would meet regularly together. And and again, it was a support network, but it was also kind of mentoring each other. And and how do how do you cope with this? And you know how how can you you know what advice can you give? And that was that was and I stayed I stayed in touch. With I mean particularly um, two of them, Karen Stocks. Who is it? At Twitter and now is at Google and Pit Marlowe, who was Microsoft and is now at Salesforce. Coming to Airbnb, they really helped me with the transition into into tech. I mean, that was that was that was very very helpful. Um, just in terms of what to expect, as I said, the different language that you know that that tech can use and how to kind of prepare myself for that. And then I've had you know I've had external people that I look to that that I admire hugely. I remember growing up. Um, with Margaret Thatcher. And I didn't, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily aligned with all her politics, but my goodness, as a female leader, she was so powerful and impressive. And I remember that really striking. So she didn't, she didn't mentor me, but she was a, you know, a role model. And the other one, you know, the other one, when I came to the US and read so much about um, was Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which was another one that you just think, wow, you know, Women who are so strong and are so clear about what their values are and their principles and stick to them, and you're so clear. I think that's something that helps shape me as a leader. You realize how important expectations are. You, as a leader, need to be so clear about what your teams can expect of you and what you expect of them. And I think where I've had, you know, great bosses who've also been mentors, you know, or other people that I've looked to and admired—it's been—it's been about that. You know exactly what you can expect from them.
1: I love this idea of the girls' club that you have, women <laughs> leaders in tech. What what would you talk about? Like, what are some of the
0: conversations you would have? Gosh, I mean, you know, it when it ranged from everything—it's—it's it's, you, as you could imagine what you, what you would talk about with your girlfriends. It it can be from as as you kind of as you grow up, it's it's the different stages of your life. So it. Uh, during my time in Australia, when we talked together, it was about, you know, it was about some people were transitioning into another role. How do you expect, how do you prepare yourself for that? Or they were having challenges with managing teams or specific, a specific issue. You know, we would talk through how we had dealt with so I mean, there are so many similarities, even though the businesses were all very different. And Disney, I was in a very different business to them at that time. But there are core elements of being a leader that are just true to everyone. And so it's whether it's dealing how to how to deal as a manager with a difficult situation, or how to deal with your boss in a difficult situation, how to transition out. And I remember um, one of them was thinking of of leaving her role, and she was she was going through all the kind of the criteria that she was asking herself and the the, the decision tree, if you like, that she was using to make this transition, that was incredibly useful for me. I mean, we were helping her through it, but for me to hear how she was thinking through if I move, these are the things that are really important that I'm going to be asking myself was was incredibly helpful.
1: If your team had to describe your leadership style, if I went to them and said, can you describe Catherine's leadership style? What do you think they'd say?
0: Um... I think they would use the word empathetic. Um, I think they would use the word um, they might use humor. I think I think humor is I think humor is incredibly important. I think um, you know clarity and help on 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 problem solving so being able to kind of unpack a problem. And find a creative solution. So, kind of bias for action, but in a let's you know. I think they would use the word optimism, and I think optimism is 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 about this, like, hey, we can find a way through this, you know. And, and I will, you know, I'm I can find kind of creative problem solve. Um, so I think they'd use empathetic, optimistic, high energy, which is I think for my team good and bad, <laughs> you know. Um, and you know, I hope that they would I hope they would think humor as well. I think humor is incredibly important.
1: Oh, it is absolutely. And the last question is, this podcast is called "Out of Office." What's your favorite thing to do when you're not in the office? Um,
0: and that's, that's a more difficult question now that we work from home. You know, how do I really try to kind of create that separation between um, home? Um, well, I am very lucky that I live in the Santa Monica Mountains in LA, and so hiking. Hiking and beach walks are—I absolutely love them. Especially, you know, we have a we have a dog, um, and so and we're the first, we're you know new to dogs. I mean, we've had uh, Aussie named after Australia, um, Aussie. We've had Aussie for three years, so he's pre-pandemic. But um, you know, now I'll kind of make sure that 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 a lot of what we do at weekends we can do with Aussie. But hiking is is hiking and and the beach walks, which are the most beautiful assets of California, is probably is probably my favourite things to do, something also that, that my husband and I both enjoy. We don't always share the same interests, but this, this we do. And hiking, I have to say, with three boys, you know, hiking and hiking holidays, is, we've done this since as soon as we thought they were kind of strong enough to be able to walk, you know, more than an hour. So we've had, we've had I mean, you're, you're in the UK at the moment, we've walked most of the Southwest Coast Path Trail. I think that's the right way, Southwest Coast Path Trail around kind of Cornwall and, and Devon, which is absolutely stunning. And if you haven't done it or parts of it, you really should. It's beautiful. But we would every holiday, every half term, we would do chunks of, of that walk.
1: Oh, I um, haven't um, done I mean, it. I'm going
0: to look into it you, now. You should. And with with young boys, it was it was a good way to kind of exercise them, keep them off the off the off the electronics, and
1: make sure they sleep well at night. Every yes. mother's goal. <laughs>
0: Yes, exactly. Catherine, thank you so much
1: for joining me on Out of Office.
0: Oh, Malika, it was a pleasure.
1: Thank you. That was Catherine Powell, Global Head of Hosting at Airbnb. I hope you enjoyed our chat as much as I did. And make sure you check out some of the other incredible conversations on Out of Office. You'll find them on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. This episode was produced by Yang Yang. I'm alika Kapoor. As always,
2: thank you for listening. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.